0: Sheila, thank you so much for talking with me, Sheila R- Robinson. Um, we know each other from AA, like kind of
1: yes, we do. bumped
0: into each other, been to some of your presentations and, uh, you've graciously agreed to talk with me a little bit about survey research. Um, you are, you're not your average evaluator, right? You do a lot of work in training presentations, course design, and the list goes on, right? But you do have a a recent book that came out. I have it right here with Kimberly Firth Leonard uh, called Designing Quality Survey Questions. And I thought it'd be really cool to just talk a little bit about surveys and how people could use them better, how they could think about them in a better way you know, so, um, maybe we could kind of go over that. Sure. Uh, So can you explain, like one of the things you talk about in the book is you apply design thinking to survey development, so like kind of use that approach. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it could be helpful for, for people who need to develop surveys? their work or for their academic work or whatever it might be.
1: Sure. Um, This is how Kim and I sort of came together around uh, the idea of designing quality survey questions. Um, Millions of people are interested in surveys, but she and I shared this deep interest in creating surveys with what we now call a respondent-centered approach. Uh, We were both people who thought deeply about our respondents while we were designing the questions, knowing that if a question isn't properly designed for a specific respondent population or even an individual respondent, that question isn't going to perform well and it isn't going to yield uh, useful or meaningful data for you. So the idea of design thinking, human centered design thinking, um, that means that we sort of uh, think about and even study the people that we're designing for. So we, we have to sort of change our thinking. As survey researchers or program evaluators, we're not really designing surveys for ourselves or for our clients. We're designing surveys for respondents those are our end users now ultimately we want some good data we want to be able to answer our evaluation or research questions but if we don't ask questions in the right way our respondents aren't going to be able to give us their best so uh, it really behooves us to understand who they are the idea of design thinking starts with empathy uh, starts with empathy and understanding who are your respondents what uh, what jobs do they do, especially if this is a job-related survey, or what are their lives like at home or at work? What, what does a typical day look like? What are their interests, their values? What are their pain points? Uh, things like that. If you can get to know your respondent population in that way, you'll be able to design a better survey for them. And this extends well beyond just designing the questions, knowing whether you're respondent population has access to online survey software whether they have a stable internet connection uh, knowing whether right. they're more likely to talk with you on the phone than push buttons on a computer that's part of that design thinking uh the phases of empathy and understanding as well
0: right it it, it reminds me kind of what you're talking about reminds me about construct validity you mm-hmm. know, the idea people will will will, will ask is it Test or survey valid, and that's never the right question. It's like, is right. it does it have good validity with a particular population or not? And so, thinking about it from the the respondent's perspective is so important. So, I really like that that, that you emphasize that. Yeah. How, how else does design thinking sort of inform your process? Um, is there are there or is there any other aspect of design thinking that's helpful to kind of i I know there's a whole there's there's a lot to it more than we could talk about here but is there something else you that would be especially like insightful helpful
1: sure So once you go through these phases of empathy and understanding where you make sense of all that you've learned about your respondent population because you've done something to study them, Um, if you haven't been able to spend time with the respondents, you've at least asked around to ask people who know them. So if you're surveying teachers and uh, best case scenario, you get into some schools and you get into some classrooms and you see how teachers' day, days go and you learn a little bit about them. But if not, maybe you can talk with some principals or, or people closer to the field, so you get to know them. So once you really have a good handle on your respondent population and you think you know something about them, um, the idea is to go into sort of a brainstorming or ideation phase. Um, now, all of this is premised on the fact that you already have researcher evaluation questions. So you always need to start there. You need to know what you're you're doing. You need a purpose for conducting the survey. We actually advise people to state a written purpose and commit to it. Why are you using a survey? How is that survey expected to help you answer a specific researcher evaluation question? So all of this is part of this pre-planning and drafting. So once we know our respondents, we can then go into this brainstorming. So we know why we need a survey. Now let's talk about what do we need to measure? What is it exactly that we need to know? Are we measuring people's awareness? Are we measuring their attitudes, Mm -hmm. feelings or thoughts? Are we asking them to report on certain behaviors? Um, Knowing that the only way we can measure behavior truly is by observation. Um, So if I ask you how many times a week you do something, I'm just getting your self-report, your perception of that. Um, But then this phase of ideation, uh, we're not even quite creating the exact questions, we're determining what is it that we want to know, how might we measure people's shopping habits or something like that, Um, and it moves us to the point at which we are actually uh, brainstorming a list of questions and pruning out the ones that don't serve us well that aren't going to directly answer our research and evaluation questions. And then we move into prototyping, which is part of the design thinking process. So prototyping for survey researchers is pre-testing. It's doing either a pilot study with our survey or some of us are internal evaluators or we're doing really small scale uh, surveys and we can't do a whole pilot study. But we can ask a few colleagues to take the survey and talk mm-hmm. to us about that. We can uh, do a little bit of uh, what we call cognitive interviewing light. I might uh, ask you to look over my survey and and I might ask you to do a think aloud with me. And so James, when you read question one, what are you thinking when you're trying to answer this? Do those response right. options apply to you? Um, what's going through your head? So this idea of prototyping, Um, and iteration, right? I might refine the questions and go back to some people and do a little back and forth before I'm sure that my survey is ready for administration.
0: So you can learn a lot from that process. Have Have you ever sort of found out that participants just understand a question totally different than what you intended or what the developer intended? Does that sort of come up
1: Yeah, it does. It does. um, And more so when I'm designing a survey for respondents that I don't know. Um, One of my projects was uh, designing a survey to be given to concrete mixer truck drivers and operators. (laughs) So this is not a field that I know at all. Uh So I, I had to do a little bit of learning and We were focused on uh, what we wanted to measure was job satisfaction, so we started looking at um, how can we ask these folks what aspects of their jobs they do and don't like, and um, that was part of the survey, and so there was a lot of terminology that I didn't know, and so I uh, got on the phone with some truck drivers, and we talked through the survey, and they told me about some questions that I shouldn't bother asking. Um, they told me, everyone will say this, take that question right off the survey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I trusted them. And uh, and so it worked out, I think, much better. Um, because, of course, one of the issues is we didn't want to have a survey that's three miles long. Right. takes an hour to do. That wasn't going to be feasible. So I really needed them to help me um, create a prototype of the survey that was the right length with just the right questions for them.
0: That would have impacted your response rate. So always talking with the respondent in some way. If it's a more formal process, cognitive interviewing, or just some kind of focus group, or just calling sure. up and speaking. Yeah. Sure. Speaking
1: uh, right. The more, the better right? If yeah. you're going to launch a survey for a thousand people, then definitely get 20, 30, 40, uh, yeah. maybe even a hundred. If you can, it, you do whatever is feasible.
0: Not a lot of people do this. Let's say in industry, like when they just generate a survey uh, for some internal purpose, right? Do you have a good, like cautionary tale you can say about someone or some organization, let's say that developed a survey quickly and like sort of what happened, what went wrong? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, there are lots of these tales, but um, <laughs> one that comes to mind is actually a really common scenario. So I was internal to the organization and um One of the directors wanted to do just a quick survey of the entire department. We were trying to build internal capacity for professional training. Budgets were tight and we couldn't uh, necessarily afford outside training. So we were trying to see what was going on uh, inside the department, how we could take advantage of each other's uh, collective knowledge. So she threw together a three or four question survey and one of the questions was, what topics are you expert at and so, once this survey was done i wasn 't consulted beforehand. Um, I was the one who was doing all the data analysis and person after person said, well, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I do know this and that, or um, I have experience. They, they really shied away, this, especially this particular department, shied away from that word expert. They didn't like it. They didn't um, feel comfortable coming forth as an expert, um, but what the director was really trying to get at is not just what do you know well, it's what do you know well enough to teach? Right, So we all probably have topics that we know well. We have topics we know well, but we can't teach. Or we have topics we know well, but we're not comfortable teaching. There are all kinds of questions wrapped up here that had she split this out into some really specific questions with words that were uh, more palatable to this group, she probably would have gotten a lot more meaningful and useful data.
0: So they sort of ended up with something that really wasn't helpful at all and really Correct. wasn't actionable in any way
1: it absolutely was not yeah. actionable
0: that's a great uh, great example uh, What are some common biases that you see play out um, when surveys are are used uh, in program evaluations are there any kind of things that you you see that kind of go wrong in terms of uh, uh, biases?
1: Biases are t- tough. Um, because it's very easy to slip into the mindset you're sitting at your desk you're let's say you're brainstorming a list of questions for the survey and maybe you're maybe it's not even a program evaluation for a client maybe it's you the individual researcher and you are pursuing a research question of interest maybe even for your own uh master's thesis or dissertation or something um it's very easy to slip into thinking that your respondents are just like you. So uh, typically, I would say our respondents are not necessarily just like us. So yes, when I go survey a bunch of school teachers, that's where I came from. I have a lot of commonalities. That's an easy group for me to write for. Concrete mixer truck drivers, not so much. Um, the uh, So we have to think about our respondents and make sure that we're not... Uh, sort of imparting our own uh, values and our own um, beings, like my own demographics shouldn't reflect in the survey questions. But bias shows up in another way too, and it shows up in the simplest of questions. Um, Simply asking after a training or something, how much did you like the training? That's a very biased question. How much Mm -hmm. did you enjoy being in this program? Very biased, right? It's... It's full of well, You see those questions all the time.
0: Instead right. of
1: asking, did you enjoy the program? All the time, all the time. Yeah. And it's easy to make those mistakes because almost everyone knows we don't want the survey to be too long. So we try to squeeze everything into we're just going to do 10 questions kind of thing. Um, and so they don't want to take the time or the space to say, did you enjoy? And if you did... Uh, to what extent, or why, or whatever follow-up questions. But bias tends to show way. up when yeah. we squeeze. Yeah, we squeeze a lot into one question.
0: So there can be a balance between that sort of like trying to squeeze a lot and also have something that's high quality. Kind of a tension between those two things sometimes?
1: There's always a tension between uh, high quality and everything else. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> But uh, there, there are ways to mitigate this, so so I'll work with a client who says we only want ten questions because otherwise people will be all uh, all upset because it's fifteen questions and it looks too long. Well, the thing is, if we tell them it's fifteen questions, but fourteen of them are uh, multiple choice or you know quick tick off a, a circle or a box. Um, we also in our survey invitation. Um, Do things like letting people know why we're doing the survey. We let people know how important it is and how um, by you responding to the survey, you will be helping others because that's what our research is uh, set out to do. Things like that, an emotional appeal. You also tell them this survey will take approximately five to seven minutes, 10 to 12. um, And some of the survey software now will tell you about how long it takes to complete the survey
0: right i love the, so the surveys too. that, and I always say that
1: on a conservative side
0: yeah i love the surveys that say that like there'll be five questions but then each question has like 40 parts to it so it's like you know right. 120 questions you know that kind of thing so right it's important for people to have like buy into the survey like think that oh their participation is going to help it's going to lead to something it's going to sort of appeal to that uh, that part, and then also to understand what they're getting into, so it doesn't just sort of drag on forever beyond what they initially agreed to by clicking that link right. or completing the, the the paper. Right. Okay. So uh, a lot of uh, people ask, like, how do you know if you should develop your own survey or use an existing survey or modify an existing survey? This is something that we look at all the time. What are some, like, a few, a few, obviously there's a lot to go in there, but are, are there a couple uh, guiding points or, or suggestions you could have there?
1: Sure. Um, it it depends on what you want to measure, and or I should say what you need to measure, um, because sometimes what we want to measure out of interest is not what we need to measure to answer the questions at hand. So yeah. if you need to measure a construct. You need to measure uh, self-esteem in adolescent young women. There's probably a number of really good surveys out there that measure self-esteem in that population. So perhaps you could use one of those um, for for your research, right? Often, I find myself needing to measure something unique In a population that is unique. So I could have pulled out a uh, a generic job satisfaction survey for the truck drivers, but I didn't want a just a generic measure of job satisfaction as a construct. We needed to measure job satisfaction in this particular state in this particular association. Um, So it was more specific. Also, I find my clients are usually trying to measure multiple things. Um, I'm working with a professional association who wants to understand not just people's experience in the association, but their experience in this particular field. And they're asking questions about salary and management and and working conditions and benefits. And um, so it's all kinds of things. There's no survey out there already that's measuring this exact set of things Um, and a note about modifying so i can't take that survey that's been validated with 14 to 16 year old young women and then use it on 20 to 25 year old women or 18 to 20 year old men Uh, so you need to know that uh, which population that survey has been tested with so it may or may not be valid for the population that that uh is your respondent cool
0: yeah it speaks to your earlier point right that is the survey uh valid for that particular population or does it have good validity does it perform well in that particular population so right it's oftentimes and, a problem like it, you, you it find a great sp- survey but it, it may be there's only a few studies with it with populations that are wholly different than what you're interested in.
1: So ultimately you want to, uh, I think, learn a little bit about the different types of validity and know what is important for your study and you need to have ways for you and whoever's on your team to figure out whether your results are valid, right? So you can do, um, uh, other types of data collection, triangulation, other ways of figuring out whether the results that you obtained through your survey are meaningful, important, actionable for your setting. It's not easy. No. Yeah. Definitely there's not. A,
0: there's a, I think your your book adds a lot to it and kind of makes it makes it a bit easier. But the process regardless, there's a lot of work that's involved to, to do it well. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. But that said. Um, people shouldn't shy away from doing a quick internal survey to measure something that's important to the organization across a single department or something. It doesn't mean that you have to uh, take graduate courses and read textbooks cover to cover just to generate uh, one survey. So the effort that you put into it is really about what outcomes you're looking for. Um, If you're looking to generalize to other programs and populations, then you're going to want to put a lot more into it If you just want to get a a pulse of how people in your department are feeling about the new initiatives With a little thought and a little effort you can you can do that one really well
0: Yeah Um, Can you think of a a time when? uh, something other than a survey would be more suitable for a particular study or something that somebody was interested in.
1: Yes. Actually, Kim and I wrote a whole section of the book on this. We really wanted to stress that although we're survey enthusiasts, that doesn't mean that this is the right tool for every question, for every Mm -hmm. scenario. You really need to think about your research, and evaluation questions, you need to have absolute clarity on what it is that you need to measure, mm-hmm. and you need to know those respondents. So there have been many times uh, that I've been called in, Sheila, help us write a survey. And there are times that I've said, you know what, it's not a survey that you need. Here's what you need to do. You, ne- you really need a focus group because this isn't something that can be asked in a series of questions. This respondent group. Um, doesn't know enough about the new initiative yet to answer Mm -hmm. questions meaningfully. So perhaps a focus group where they're gathered in conversation um, or individual interviews, asking about their background knowledge. Um, There are all kinds of scenarios. Um, And also there's this sort of uh, juxtaposition of interviewing and surveying. One of my, favorite stories is for a really small scale effort. Again, internal to an organization, we just needed to have a perspective from, uh, it was 16 or 17 school principals on the particular leadership program that we had run. Um, And so this is a really small number. But I know principals, I worked among them for 30 years. So I knew that if I emailed them a link with a SurveyMonkey link and uh, three or four open-ended questions, which Uh is what I needed to ask, I'd be lucky if two of them actually sat down at their desk and typed it out. I mean, their days are just crazy busy. But I also knew if I asked them, hey, can I schedule something with your assistant so that you and I can get on the phone for 15 or 20 minutes? Every single one of them said yes. And so I sat at my desk, called over to the school, and 15, 20 minutes later, I, I took all the notes, and I had everything I need. 100% response right.
0: That's your earlier point of empathy, like understanding their busy schedules, their lives, knowing that, knowing that there's no way that they would do it. They would click on that link. They would remember that email out of the other 200 they received that day and all the other things going on in school and everything else that's happening, Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Had you asked me to answer these questions in writing, (laughs) that would have been a whole different effort than getting on the phone and having fun talking about a topic that we both like.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, So then survey software. This is something that people ask me a lot about. um, We talk about how do you make, like, how do you figure out what to use? There's a lot of different options, right? Right. From Google Forms, SurveyMonkey, to Qualtrics. It uh, you know, just keeps going. There's tons. What, what do, you, you know, how, how do you... Where do you start?
1: Um, so you're starting someplace between what can you afford? Because some are free and some are very costly and some are in between. Yeah. And some have free versions and some have paid versions and different features. So... Um, in a perfect world, you'd have enough time to do this. You'd have your entire survey created and ready to go, and then you'd choose software. I know it doesn't always happen like that. But what you need to know is, does the software that you're choosing have the capability for the type of question you are imagining? And how does it look to the respondent? So something like a matrix question. A matrix question might be where you have a number of statements that you want people to respond to. So these are sentences and sometimes they're long sentences and they have the same response scale. Um, Maybe it's a strongly agree to strongly disagree scale to Mm -hmm. these 10 or 15 or 20 statements sometimes. But some of the survey software squishes them up in the left column and it makes it really hard for respondents to read. So I would think about which software does that best if that's a feature of my survey um so what i what i say to people is if you are thinking about survey software pay attention to all the surveys that are coming your way and which software you're taking them on as a respondent and sort of take notes and then anytime that you uh google the best survey software of 2020 it changes every year i just look at people's recommendations from year to year
0: yeah, it's a, it can be a challenging, kind of like there's a, so many different options, costs. Uh, there's also, you know, if individuals want to, organizations want to maintain an account that they want to use for multiple projects, or is it just sort of a single use kind of thing? But there's nothing like actually using it. And I, I like the idea about thinking about like the surveys that you take, you know, where, where are they uh, housed? What's the software that... Uh, and that they're, they're being used. Right, um,
1: so pay attention to, if something comes to you through SurveyMonkey or through Qual- Qualtrics or SurveyGizmo or, or Google Forms or Microsoft Forms, they, they all have them now. So uh, yeah. whether you like what you see as a respondent. The other thing to be mindful of too is if you want to try out a free version of something, make sure that you can download your data in a form that's useful for you. Uh, so for me, I want to be able to download into Excel. I want it in yeah. a in a good format so that I don't have to do a yeah. ton of data cleaning and and moving things around. Uh, so that's that's really important as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Are there let's uh, kind of wrap up with this? Uh, are there suggestions you have for evaluators who use surveys who are starting to maybe people more at the beginning of their uh, career? starting to use surveys more and more and getting more familiar with it with them some suggestions uh, just kind of like uh maybe starting places or some direction i know very broad question
1: yeah very broad question (laughs) so just a few pieces of advice for anyone um i can't say this enough have your evaluation questions set you you can't say i'm going to do a survey unless you know why you're going to do a survey Um, Make sure that a survey is the right tool. Make sure you know your respondents. We want to also think about their experience taking a survey. So respondent burden and survey fatigue are two very real phenomena that can mess up your study. Um, If people are tired of answering your questions, they will start satisficing, meaning they'll give you Mm. lower quality answers. they'll not put a lot of time and effort into thinking and uh, giving you the most accurate data. Um, Especially with demographics, now we could do a whole couple of hours on demographics. Um, Make sure you're only collecting the demographic information that you need. If you're not disaggregating by gender or by race ethnicity, then you're not going to need to ask those questions and be careful about how many questions. Uh, I was uh, asked to do a survey where the demographic questions were around work-related. How many years have you been in this field? Which uh-huh. building do you work at? Which department do you work in? Well, once I said 15 years in this building in this department, I was the only one that had that particular profile. So uh-huh. you don't wanna to ask too many if your survey is designed to be anonymous.
0: So it would identify who the, who you are, yeah. And it's like, what's the point of that question anyway? Those questions, like how will it be used? I love the idea, and you've mentioned this a few times, of always thinking about what your evaluation questions are. Make sure that the survey questions line up. Because a lot of times you see that there's sort of a disconnect um, that happens quite a bit to the best of us, right? It's kind of like yes. wander, there's like a drift because a lot of times the survey development process is a team process. Multiple people work on it together, so you might start with some basic initial ideas, and the team might go a different, various directions. So it's really important for, I guess, for evaluators to keep, to keep kind of focusing back on, does this address the survey, the evaluation question? Is this an essential question? Do we have to you know, ask this?
1: Yes. That's why we encourage people to have their evaluation questions right there Mm -hmm. and have their purpose for the survey at the same time and continue to revisit that. We don't want to ask people for data that we're not going to use or that we don't absolutely need. And we have to watch that our personal interests don't get in the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. That's really helpful for me and I think that the people watching it as well. Um, how can people uh, get in contact with you or find out more about what you're writing? And I think you have a, you have a newsletter. You're on uh, what are the best, what are the best ways to kind of reach out and also kind of stay in touch with your, your message, what you're doing?
1: Thanks for asking the best ways to get in contact with me. The easiest are through my website, it's SheilaBRobinson.com, um, and as long as you can spell my first name S H E I L A, then you'll get it. SheilaBRobinson.com, and yeah. also on Twitter at SheilaBRobinson, uh, and I think I'm the only at Sheila B. Robinson on Twitter. So. Okay feel free to reach out to me there and uh, sure subscribe to the newsletter. I'm enjoying writing it and it's uh, there've been a number of issues on survey design and a couple more coming up.
0: Yep. I've been reading your newsletter. Very, uh, very helpful. Yeah. Thanks for, Thank you. for uh, sharing that. Great. All right. Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks James. Take care and stay healthy.
0: <laughs> you too.
1: Thanks. <laughs>